I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one. Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is not Drew Brett, but she is cooler than Rex with a porg sitting on top of his helmet. It's Lindsay. Oh, man. You know, I might be cooler than Rex with the porg on the top of the helmet, but I'm not cooler than the porg, and I'm willing to admit that. It's good that you know your station in life. You accept it. <laughs> and that other laugh you hear there in the background is our guest for tonight to talk about TFA. It is Marie Claire from What the Force podcast. Hi. Thanks we, for having me on the show. Marie Claire, I'm so excited to have you on because so Clashing Sabers started as like a, I want to analyze things more and not so much speculate about everything that's coming in the future, but more like analyze the themes and ideas that we have. So then finding your show too, there's been times I'm just like, dang, how did I not think of that first? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really excited that we're going to get to pick your brain, especially on TFA. When I was coming up with this series or we were coming up with this series, I was like, I know exactly who we need to get some Kylo Ren Ray action. And it had to be oh. you. So, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now. We're, no we're, pressure, though. We're starting like that. And I have, I have like, the best TFA watching, like, first-time stories. So if you want to hear that. Oh, we will definitely can, hear that. I do. I can tell you that. It's pretty good, yeah. We'll save it. We'll save it for after the break when we jump into it. But before we get there, I, I would normally ask what we are Star Warsing. But we are recording this on August 24th, and if you don't know why August 24th is important, you haven't been on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen, because we had some big breaking news. I know, and it had everything, like everything, all the Star Wars. All of the Star Wars. It was uh, Star Wars Palooza. (laughs) Oh, It's like, honestly, we were talking about it before, it's like hard to breathe right now because there's so many things going on, and at the same time, there's... Still, we have to wait for Monday for the trailer to uh, drop, which I'm calling it a trailer because that's what it sounds like. But Lindsay, you kind of did a live reaction to the to the news that came out today, um, which I want to get to in just a little bit. But let's go backwards to the Mandalorian and and what was your reaction when we watched that trailer last night? It was much more positive um, than today. And we'll get to my reaction to today in a little bit. But last night was just excitement, especially because I feel like I've been holding on to some big secrets regarding The Mandalorian just because I was one of the lucky people who was in that room at Celebration. I got to see some extended footage of that. And I have a little bit more context for what the story is. And not really being able to explain it to people, not because obviously I didn't sign any kind of, you know, NDA or I couldn't talk about it. It's just that I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't explain it to people and what I saw and the differences between that and what we're used to in Star Wars. So it was this excitement because now everyone else gets to be hyped up with me and start to look forward to that. And quite frankly, 
the trailer we got last night was probably better than the extended raw footage that we saw. So it was just the added benefit of something I was already excited to share with people. And now even somehow got me even more amped than I was. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I was excited as you know, because I'm, I'm as almost as excited for Disney plus as I am for uh, rise of Skywalker, just because everything that's going to be coming, not just with star Wars, but with everything that I love. So Marie Claire, what about you? How did how did you feel about the Mandalorian after seeing this trailer? So I was actually also in the room for celebration. So oh, I actually nice. got to see the extended footage as well. And there was like a little mini trailer that went with it, like kind of uh, a little sizzle, a sizzle reel, but then the extended footage. And um I feel like it's going to be a redemption story for our Mandalorian. I feel like he's got some sort of dark past that he is continuously trying to get over. Um, we know that the person that he meets in the bar in the trailer is his fixer. We know that from the scissor or from the from the uh, from the sizzle and from the extended footage that we actually got. Uh, from celebration, um, we know he's meeting somebody for a very special job, an unconventional job um, that we also got from the celebration trailer. I think he's like trying to bounty hunt a person. I forget <laughs> exactly, Lindsay. If you can remind me, yeah, it was a it was a person who, from the extended scenes, like a um, they there was a doctor there. And what the Mandalorian was told at first was, you know, we need him dead or alive. And then the doctor got really upset saying, wait, no, we need him alive. Right. Yeah. And the broker and the doctor were kind of arguing over what state they need this person in. And I don't know about you. That's that's kind of one of those things. I woke up this morning and obviously being able to process things a little bit more. The adrenaline left a little bit. I realized we really didn't get anything in terms of storyline from no. the teaser. It was just all a bunch of cool shots. And I was like, no one is going to have any idea what this is about. Yeah. And like to me, I think that we're going to get like a deep view into sort of the underworld and the remnants of the empire. People who were like almost like what you would get uh, post a civil war, like people who were kind of on different sides who still collectively believe in one way or another even up to resistance we still have people that wear imperial garb you know out there in in the world <laughs> you know so um i think that that you know first and foremost this is not everybody not everything is copacetic across the galaxy in the world of the mandalorian which is i believe it's like five years six years after Revenge of the Sith, uh, sorry, Return of the Jedi. That's when it's set. And it's like, you know, just because the Empire is gone doesn't mean that people aren't suffering, right? And how do you turn sort of like a Wild West, Deadwood, you know, lawless civilization for the most part with the Empire's collapse into something that is maybe more uh, stable that turns into the new Republic. And who are the, who are the people that kind of keep the peace through their own brand of honor, I think is what we're going to get. Yeah. And I mean, if you think just about the American civil war, it, it was very similar in that, like 
we we celebrate it now as ending slavery, but it really didn't end the oppression and and everything that was going on. So, you know, it's a, it's something that I feel is really relatable. Um, I like the idea mm-hmm. of the redemption story, not in terms of like he goes from this on edge, you know, his own kind of justice guy to you know cotton candy and light and fluffy, but like he finally finds something to believe in and fight for. Uh, whether yes, that's a person that's, or a cause, yeah, yeah, I think that that's where it's leaning. Like he has been disillusioned because of the state of the galaxy and and his own personal experiences. And I really do hope that we will see uh, a movement of a hero's journey, right? And and I, Lindsay, I don't know if you were remember this, but during the panel uh, at celebration. Uh, John Favreau was like, and Dave Filoni made me read The Hero's Journey. And I'm like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> the only person in the audience that's like a Joseph Campbell stan, which was super weird. But yeah, no, the the idea that Dave Filoni is like taking John Favreau under his wing and saying, this is Star Wars, is incredibly exciting to me because A, it's about... You know, how do we how do we show kids something? Because that's always what Star Wars is about. What do we need to show kids? Because this show will be about four kids, probably teenagers, not not little kids, but, you know, a, a more, you know, <laughs> adolescent level of kid. But what do we need to show kids? We need to show kids that, you know, even though there are bad things in the universe and that sometimes it feels very chaotic, there are still look for the helpers, look for the people that are willing to actually, you know, in a Western kind of idea, the white hat, the Mandalorian will totally turn into a white hat from a Western, like Western genre, like cowboys mm-hmm. perspective. I mean, I want to add to that too, because I, I completely agree with you that the main underlying point of Star Wars is what are we showing kids? But I'm also a firm believer that the medium is the message. And to think, why are they telling this story in a serialized TV format instead of a two-hour movie or even just releasing all of the episodes at once, I think there's going to be something there with they want us to sit for a week at a time with the message and really digest and really comprehend what the Mandalorian is going through so we can go on this journey with him instead of just binge-watching for a day and then having to wait a year to see what happens next. I'm going to be... Exactly. I'm going to be cynical here uh, and say that they're releasing it week at a time so that they can get people hooked to Disney Plus and they won't want to leave and not just subscribe for the Mandalorian and go. But (laughs) (laughs) that said, I completely agree with the whole idea. Disney likes money. Hey, I like money too. I don't fault them. Um, No, but with that in mind, I do think that that is going to be a great benefit to this show um, because there is going to be just – so much going on um, and it's not going to be the Star Wars that we know but at the same time it is you know Lindsay and I kind of talked about this on uh, the last Don't Burn the Sacred Text for Crash of Fate of like what actually makes Star Wars Star Wars and it's those certain themes that always pop up no matter if you're telling more of a sci-fi story or a love story or you know uh, mythology whatever it may be it, there's these certain themes, and I think we'll definitely get those uh, as we move to the Mandalorian. And I 
selfishly, I would like all eight episodes or ten episodes at one time, but I'm sure it's probably for the best that we get it one week at a time um, because I think this is something that's going to really get ingrained into you know, our blood as Star Wars fans of, of something that we look to to help us understand the overall galaxy, particularly in this time period. Well, and it's like the first one out of the gate, too, right, yeah. of these streaming shows. So if you look at the timing of it from a meta textual perspective slash meta marketing perspective, um, it's coming out for 10 weeks, which leads us right into February when Clone Wars comes out. So wow, how they are kind of keeping us fed with the content. How coincidental. No, it's it's just them being smart. Like, you know, they might take a break off at, at Christmas, too. Like, we don't know because they, they tend to do that. Like, they tend to take a break. And then they're, they'll overlap or they'll butt up against each other. And we won't even have time to really be like, oh, there's no content on Disney Plus for Star Wars. Oh. You know, like, yeah. it, it, they're they're very, very smart with their marketing for the most part. Right. Sometimes they make some weird choices. <laughs> But, you know, they they know timing really well. Like, you'll notice that Disney does not release conflicting stuff very often that butts into each other in the theaters. So they're going to do something similar from a content perspective with Disney+. Plus. I mean, now, though, they do have the giant going against absolutely every single other one of their properties. Because how can you bring Lizzie McGuire back and expect anyone to hey, focus on anything else? Hey, you I'm listen incredibly here. excited. I'm so excited. You <laughs> listen so here. Good. <laughs> I had a huge crush on Hillary Duff when I was a teenage boy and probably watched more episodes of Lizzie McGuire than I would like to admit. So... No, safe space. I'm this not. Is, it's, listen, it's good. In retrospect, yeah. everyone's gonna, <laughs> everyone's gonna admit they watched Lizzie McGuire. My cousin texted me like 15 seconds after the announcement. She goes, "You think they're bringing Gordo back, right?" <laughs> How do you not? <laughs> you have to. You have to. Uh, speaking of comebacks, don't call it a comeback because we've been here before. Great Late- segue. I know, right? Oh, I love Ella Cool J. Uh, we are getting Obi Wan, guys. I don't know. I don't know no. how else to say it. Oh. We're getting Kenobi. What do you guys think? I messaged a friend who's like the largest Kenobi fan out there, and he's like, "I'm literally crying." I was working all day. I didn't think we'd get anything because I was like so disillusioned, and he's like literally crying because because I'm like, it's Obi Wan Kenobi actually on stage. It's Ewan McGregor on stage telling you that he's coming back. Do you believe him now? Like, you can you can stop. Yeah being stressed i have a lot there's of thoughts no what i want to see but you know there's like because i was like oh is there really a story there but i have a thought on what i want to see so i'm i'm happy <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of potential there and and just thinking about you know what, what kathleen kennedy said they've already got the scripts written they should start shooting mm-hmm. next year we could have a situation where we get Mandalorian with episode nine dropped in the middle there, then Clone Wars and a, a quick break to catch our breath, and then Cassian and Obi-Wan. I mean, it's yeah, gonna be Cassian crazy. and Obi-Wan. Uh, we could get like the release of The Rise of Skywalker to the streaming service before that. So, like, they let that settle for a little while, and then, like, who knows, right? We, we don't, we're entering a weird, weird new world of an entire arm, including like Galaxy's Edge. Um, mm-hmm. I really. So there was something that uh, 
Kevin Feige said about the Marvel streaming service arm of things with especially the streaming shows, which is that they view the streaming shows as as important as the movies. And to me, that means that they're going to be investing tons of money into the mm-hmm. streaming shows themselves, which we already know based on the Mandalorian's um, amount of money that they are investing in them. Each show was like $10 million or something cr- wacky. Um the or maybe it was a hundred million. It was a hundred no, million. I think it's ten million yeah. an episode. Is it? It yeah. was a hundred million overall. Okay. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> but my hope is that we get the a de aging technology on Obi Wan Kenobi, and we get flashbacks to Satine. Oh wow! because that would be ho- like. I know so many Obi-Teen shippers that would just show up, like, be like, yes, please. Okay, imagine this. Obi-Wan on Tatooine communing with Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon helps him understand Anakin through flashbacks with Satine. Yes. Here for it. (sighs) Subscribed, Hmm. liked, Hmm. all that. Yeah. I'm going to need to think about this one a little more. (laughs) I'm okay. This, also, I need to, this I need to sit with. I I kind of want like a t- like a, they've been doing more and more of this like two timed storytelling, like especially the books, mm. a little bit with Solo. Like they've been trying to do a little bit more of that, that stretching the boundaries of what we know as Star Wars, which is like having two times of storytelling that they're talking about. I would really like to see maybe something where he's he's actually having to leave tattooing for a little while and and doing his own adventure, but he has flashbacks. So we kind of get the story progressing kind of from two different angles. I think that would be really complex and interesting. Um, but I really, I want them to utilize the age down technology so we can see baby Obi, Obi baby Obi, I, baby. I honestly want to see age up technology and get him to look a little bit more like Alec Guinness. I mean, they could do both. At, yeah, <laughs> at some point. I don't need it like the whole series, but I just think it would be really cool to like have Ewan McGregor with Alec Guinness's face and it would just be it would be it would be great. It would be awesome. Well, it's eight years. It's set eight years after Revenge of the Sith. So about seven. No, about 11 years before A New Hope. Yes, and it's okay. just like between where Solo kind of takes place, so the, between the two time jumps of Solo. So what you're saying is Kira and Obi-Wan are Rey's parents. Entirely possible, but we already know that Maul is Rey's mom because of the double lightsaber. Oh, oh obviously. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dad. <laughs> I mean, mom. How does the rack work? He said mom, and we're sticking to he it. He got his lower half cut off, so we don't really know for sure. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know. You just don't know. And you know what? We support Maul in whatever he chooses to do. You know, live your life. Live your life, Maul. Maybe kill a few less people, but other than that. Uh, speaking of of double bladed lightsabers, it's right there, guys. What? It's a vision. Is that what you, we're, we're all leaning? No, I'm staying with my. She's in an observatory, and she needs something to arm herself with. And being that it's a Sith observatory, it's one of Palpatine's observatories. They're well, just like it, so they, to be they described a total change of garb. 
like so black clothing, black like hair. Her hair was down. It was a total different Ray. See, Mark though pointed out that Luke also wears full black in Return of the Jedi, so it could be some kind of callback to that. It could be some I mean, kind of Empire there. Strikes Back. He wears the Vader mask in the Vision. Sure. I I think I need to see it. I really. I mean, Monday. I know we got fantastic. Monday. 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 I know <laughs> we're going to release all of it. <laughs> but I feel like until I see it, I see what's around her. Someone also described her. Um, someone who's subscribing to the Palpatine um, possessed her. Or Palpatine hypnotized her. Said that when she opens it up, she just stands there frozen for a good second. Um, so I feel like there's little details like that that we really need to see before we jump in and say, this is definitely what it is. I, okay. So from a heroine's journey perspective, which, you know, a lot of people subscribe to as far as Ray's journey and like how it, how it's playing out, especially in the sequel trilogy, um, there is going to be a moment by which she has to confront kind of her darkness. And I think that, that could happen in a couple of ways. It could happen via vision where she is tempted, right? And she might turn slightly for a moment or be confused or like in Mortis when Anakin sees his dark future uh, turns, right? Um, but what I most want to see out of that is that Ray is able to pull it back and really have a lot of agency over her own experiences, Whatever. Would you say then, just just to play devil's advocate? Yeah. Because I I agree with you. I'm just trying to think of other objections. Would you say that we already saw that primarily with the cave scene in The Last Jedi? I would say that she certainly has already dabbled with her own darkness and, and touched her own shadow and kind of understood that she has darkness within her and yet is not overcome by it. Um, there's a, in the heroine's journey, there's a moment by which she has to actually confront what is called her dark father. <laughs> um, and uh, who knows what that could be? I don't well, know. Well, like you said, it's small. I, I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I if know. we're bringing the whole saga together, it would make sense. Yes. Um, <laughs> I do though. I do want to send you guys kind of um, my reaction to to reading the live feeds from someone in the panel because you can see I'm getting really, really, really excited when they're describing the scenes and the poster came out right then. Um, you know, I'm I'm freaking out because someone just said dual bladed lightsaber, and all of a sudden you can see my face just drop. It was it was and pretty I'm, funny. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Oh, it's red. Oh no. I'm oh not, god, don't let this be are true. You wor- are you worried? Like that's. I mean, are you worried? I'm not at the moment of recording because I've had time to sit with it and had time to digest it and had time to talk to other fans about it. But in that exact moment where it's just, here's the fact Ray is holding a red lightsaber. It just like hit me like a freaking truck right then and there. I was just like, JJ Abrams loves the misdirect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was my instant. So does like, all, all Lucasfilm. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, they were weirdly truthful in the TLJ sizzle and and trailer. Like they were super weirdly truthful, but in the TFA marketing, they really obfuscated a lot of things to do with the plot specifically. So I don't I don't get the feeling that this is telling us the truth as as the way that we as the audience will react to it. I get the feeling that this is this is the classic J.J. Abrams misdirect and it's either something that we see momentarily and is just not something that's larger than that or it's something that she struggles with and then it, it may be vision wise and then is overcome in her natural form and we see her in her natural form. I just don't think that it's like like we can talk about crazy force stuff if you want to but bleeding a lightsaber takes like a long time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's, like, you I know. mean, my my thing is, I say this with every single Star Wars movie, every single announcement that comes out is, I just want to be shocked. It's so much fun to sit and speculate about what can happen, and I, I really do love reading people's theories and watching people's theories, not because I agree with them, and not because I want to pick holes in them. It's just fun. But at the end of the day, I want nothing more than to go into a Star Wars movie for the first time and come out thinking I never saw that coming. Yeah, I suspect that we we haven't actually seen what is going to happen, uh, like in what they have given us. Um, they're certainly like they've amped up the uh, whatever the marketing scale is on. Let's not talk about Raylo to let's all talk about Raylo. They've amped up it a little bit because all of the words are weirdly Raylo, like connected. Uh, oh my God. They're, they're very, very complicated, you know? Well, and I saw <laughs> they, somebody mention that the hand touch scene is actually in it. Yes. So yes, the hand touch scene's in it. So it's like that in and of itself is a big indication that there's at least like they're, leaning into it from a marketing perspective, especially compared to what you, what we heard people were able to talk about it celebration. Like Ke Kelly Marie Tran even was like, I love redemption about star Wars, redemption, redemption, redemption. <laughs> that's what it's, I, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's it's what it's all about. I can't tell you who, but redemption. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. She's just she like is, a pure she's a gem. She is an angel yeah. and I will die for her. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, all right. Well, we are going to go ahead and move on, um, kind of, because we're still talking about sequel trilogy stuff. Lindsay, do you know what time it is? Uh, you know, I think I do. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. <laughs> I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy Beaster, buddy. Come on. Happy Beaster. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy Beaster, buddy. Come on. Happy Beaster. I'm with the droid Happy on this one, buddy. Come on. I'm, I'm so bad at it. I really am just so bad at it. I don't think I've ever gotten an answer right, but I still love it. It's, it's fun. It's fun. All right, let's do this. So we're looking at TFA today, and I have the charts in front of me. Uh, Marie Claire and Lindsay do not have them in front of them, uh, unless Lindsay Excited. is cheating. Uh, but 
I mean, if she was Listen, cheating, if she... I'm if I'm cheating and I'm still getting the answers I, wrong, you have a bigger problem. Exactly what I was about to say. So uh, Bill put this together from Happy Beeps uh, for us, and we're going to start off by looking at action figure production by the Saga films individually from 2014 to 2019. So this is since the Disney purchase. Uh, There's only two of them. No, no, no. Oh wait, they they went back. Yes, they did more. So oh. so this covers all the the toys that uh, have been released by Disney for each films because they have done uh, reproductions of some. I'm gonna knock the prequels out real quick just because we those are definitely the lowest by far. Uh, Phantom Menace, you have eight uh, action figures, and Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones, you both have sixteen. So looking at the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy that we have thus far, Marie Claire, which movie do you think had the most toy production, action figure-wise? Oh, they keep on coming back and re-releasing, like, all of the original trilogy figures. Eee! I'm, I'm feeling analysis paralysis coming on. Uh, is it still A New Hope? It is not. Oh, my God. It is not a new hope. Lindsay, you want to give it a try? Uh, my gut is telling me to go with Empire Strikes Back, but my head is telling me to go with The Force Awakens. I'll go with The Force Awakens. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, it's the one we're talking about tonight, so it's The Force <laughs> Awakens. Absolutely. Yes, go ahead. Good job. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. There Wait, was... <gasps> I got it right. You got it right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Because I guess badly, like, <laughs> really badly. I'm like, is it a new hope? Well, but no. Like, to me, it's like it's so weird because they've been releasing all these like original trilogy, especially like Lego sets and yeah. like, yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing. So Empire has 65, and Return of the Jedi has 47. Uh, a New Hope has 103, so it's the only one to cross 100 action figures in the original trilogy. Force Fair. Awakens had 172, and Last Jedi had 119. So really, I mean, Force Awakens is is far and above, which I I remember just Force Awakens toys being literally everywhere. It was like Phantom Menace Part Two, um, but it's I mean, interesting the other numbers are close. Scuba Ren, we had Scuba Ren even. So I mean, canon. <laughs> It's I, canon. I think I still see some Constable Zubios, too, when I walk yeah. into Target. Oh, there are definitely some Constable <laughs> Zubios. Oh, my God. So, since we're talking about toys, this is the perfect section to do this. I went to a comic book store the other day um, to get an Obi-Wan for uh, my memorial for Steve. And walked in, and they had this bucket of, like, action figures that were out of the packaging. And so I was like, well, I mean, I'm going to put this in, in a memorial bag, so I don't really need it in a box or anything so i go searching for obi-wans and i found like two ahsokas a mall with the robot legs and a sabine right so i asked the guy who's running the shop i said hey how much do you want for for each one of these he goes well i wasn't really gonna sell them individually it's for whatever the box the price is on the box so i look and it's like 120 dollars. i'm like okay I, maybe if i had a kid i could justify it but I can't justify that. I'm like, can I buy them individually? And he gave me like a hard time about wanting to give him my money for toys. Jeez. It made no sense to me. I was like, why are people the worst? I was like, I'm trying to give That's you my weird. money. I convinced him anyways. So I have them. I mean, the mall with robot legs. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, the other day when Lindsay and I were recording, I did. I looked at his arms and it looked like he was doing a river dance. It's it made me happy. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a bad thing. 
All right. Um, let's move on to toy production by scene. So this is just for The Force Awakens. All right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Hold on. Buckle up. So we have the attack on Jakku, which would be like the Millennium Falcon um, and the, the race there, or uh, the chase there. Ray the Scavenger, um, which would just be Ray in her original garb. Finn and Poe escaping, Nima Outpost, Escape on the Falcon, Han and Chewie, Maskinata's Castle, Resistance on Dakar, Attack on Starkiller, Duel in the Snow, and Journey to Skywalker. So we have a lot oh of stuff goodness. going on, all right? So to make it a little bit easier, since you guys don't have this all in front of you, I'm going to give you the top three, and you have to choose which is which is the top, all right? The top three. We're going to prove I'm so bad at this. <laughs> attack on Jakku, Nima Outpost, and Attack on Starkiller Base. Lindsay, since you are our reigning champion at the moment, wow. I'm going to let you go first. Well, first of all, I was really hoping I wouldn't have to answer this. I could know. just let today be the day I was right and leave it at that. But I'm That's so why I did happy it. I didn't. I'm so happy I didn't cut you off from giving us the three because I was going to go with Scavenger Ray. I was like, it's obviously that. <laughs> apparently that didn't even make the top. No, it's not even in the top half. Oh, geez. Um... I'll go with Nima Outpost. All right. She's got Nima Outpost. Marie Claire, what do you have? Attack on the village because Kylo slash the um, command shuttle is hot. You would be 100% correct. 101 things for the attack on Jakku. Uh, Nima Outpost was 53 toys. Attack on Starkiller was 86. Ray Scavenger was only nine. Weird. Yeah. I guess because it's just, there's not. It's just her, right? Yeah, it's just her (laughs) and maybe her with BB-8. Because I don't think they released like her. um, Like with her her house. Her house, yeah. um, Her little walker home, right? Yeah. So that would be something that would add a lot, but um, the rest I'm not going to go through just because there's so many. Um, the link will be in the show notes as always, so you can definitely um, find it there or head over to happybeeps.net. So then to finish off, uh, we have the top 10 characters by TFA Toy Production, and they go like this, in this order, all right? So I'm going to switch the game up. Kylo Ren has the most, Ray has the second. BB-8, Poe Dameron, Finn, Phasma, Stormtroopers, Force Order Stormtroopers, First first Order TIE Pilots, Han Solo, 3PO, and the Resistance Trooper. So I'm going to give you Kylo Ren is the most, and Rey is second. What is the difference between the number of toys produced for them? Marie Claire? You think there was double Kylo Ren versus Rey? Yes. Okay. All right. Very confident there in your answer. All right, Lindsay. Super. Um, three. Wait, are we doing prices right rules? We are doing prices right rules. Your answers are already locked in. I'm sorry. It's one. Oh shit! <laughs> Thirty-one so toys there, for Ray and thirty-two for Kylo. There wasn't like two Kylo Ren. <laughs> 
<laughs> See how bad I am at this? Oh, oh don't worry. We get it wrong. I'm the only one that gets it right, and that's only because I'm looking at the charts. <laughs> we never get this so right. Funny. It's great. All right, so let's wrap it up with this. So Kylo Ren has 32 toys, as I mentioned. Resistance Trooper is the lowest. All right. How many think? How many do you think it has? I'm gonna let four. whoever go first. Pick a number. That one's got to be one, right? I said four. Four, four. and one. Yeah, yeah. It would be nine. Oh wow! Here's the crazy thing. Guess how many Han Solos were produced? Zero. Nine. Oh. <laughs> the exact. I, uh, it's not even. I feel like he would have sold, but I guess. Nobody wants to see Han Solo die again and again. I guess you, you, you can't really release him with the lightsaber He's through him. At home, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. If he wants to reenact that, I guess. Baby. Could you imagine if they <laughs> released a toy where the lightsaber it. just comes out of the back? Like the old Luke Skywalker? <laughs> oh, where it just comes out of his hand. Oh, God. This is getting morbid very quickly. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm not. I'm not upset about it at all. This has been fun. But I think it's time to get into where the real fun begins. You guys ready to talk about TFA? Yes, always. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back after this. I see your eyes. You already know the truth. The belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. I am no Jedi, but I know the force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. Marie Claire, you teased earlier telling us your your TFA story. Why don't you go ahead and share that with us now? Yeah, so I uh, am a mother and I have a family and everything like that. And so sometimes I book family vacations for us and actually when this was going to come out we knew when it was going to come out but like for some reason it had like left my mind like in in a moment of blur I was like oh man look at this really crazy cheap flights to Mexico so I booked a flight and like our whole trip to Mexico the week TFA was coming out like months and months and months before, like the tickets went on sale and everything. And then I immediately started to have anxiety and a panic attack about the fact that I wouldn't be able to see TFA in Mexico and be like, oh, my God, how am I going to actually make this happen? So then I, uh, you know, contacted a friend who like reads Spanish really well. And I was like, OK, you got to help me out is there an English version of TFA that's going to be on? Like just, you know, as the, as the ticket sales were starting to come out. So I already bought my ones for when we came back and then I was like, okay, you got to help me out. So he translated the Mexican movie site for me where you could like literally book seats beforehand and like get them like just like when they were released in, uh, you know, in North America, et cetera, in, in Canada, in the U S and, he translated it for me. He helped me like put in my credit card information and we went opening day. It was my family. So my family of four and like two Mexican nerd boys <laughs> in the audience. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I basically saw TFA in a completely empty theater oh my for the gosh. first time. God, that's wild. We took like a taxi from the 
from the resort. We hung out at the at the mall that it was at. It was completely empty. Nobody was there. We saw it. We came back. I thought about it for a whole week and then uh, came back from Mexico to Canada and ended up being able to see it again, which is really amazing. That's, That's so cool. That's dedication. I mean, I would have just given up my vacation. So you're a better person than I am. That's all I got to say. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So for the way this goes, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, is we go through our bottom three, which is three things that we either dislike about the movie, would like to change, think would help improve it, anything of that nature. Um, And then we go into our top three, which are our favorite things about the movie or the things we think were, were done the best. So. We're going to start out with our bottom, and we'll start out with our number three, which is the thing that, that we would we least dislike. Uh, and Marie-Claire, I'm going to toss it to you first. Poe Dameron. Well, that was easy. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, I just feel like that there's a challenge I have with him as a character. Um, when, when the movie came out, I was like, wow, this movie is so cool. It's, it's awesome. It's so, so amazing. Look at all the themes and look at all the storytelling. And, uh, a lot of my like cousins who are also super into star Wars, but guys were like, oh man, I really like that Poe Dameron guy. That's the only good part of the, about the movie. It just made me like, dislike him on some level i've grown to like him you know over time he's a good boy he's gonna have some darkness in him but yeah it was just the thing that like people gravitated to him because of uh some aspects of i don't know uh, he's the guy that the most fit the tropes that they, maybe they were going in to see and uh, it made me disillusioned with him so what is it, though, that finally made you start to come around to him? Uh, <laughs> the Poe Dameron <laughs> comic. <laughs> All right, that's really? fair. It's okay. a great, great series. I yeah. could actually kind of see that, and I, I don't want to give too much away with why I agree with you, because something in my top three is going to, I think, really resonate this point. Um, So I don't want to go too much into how I can empathize with that, but just know I totally see where you're coming from and I'll expand on it in a little bit. Excellent. Yeah, I was kind of, I kind of just didn't care about Poe in The Force Awakens uh, because he fit those, he just kind of was there. He didn't really have an arc or anything in The Force Awakens because originally he was supposed to die in that first scene. And, you know, Oscar Isaac, of course, was like, I'm dying in all my movies. Can I not die? And J.J. Abrams changed it. But it was very clear he didn't know what really to do with Poe. Um, so I'm excited to see now that Poe is in J.J.'s hands again and he's had some time to to figure out what to do with his character, especially after... Uh, TLJ and, and see where they go forward with him because I like him a lot more. Um, well, I dislike like him I've, for most of that movie, but I dislike him in the way you're supposed to dislike him. And then I like him at the end. Yeah, I just, I felt a lot of like weird resentment. Like he represented kind of everything that the dude, dude bros of the internet wanted out of a hero, hero in the story. And he's not. Like, and so they would like gravitate toward him. I don't know. I think that's part of the reason that there was the reaction to Haldo and Poe's storyline in uh, TLJ. I don't think that was 
all of it. I think some people have some some actual legitimate grievances, but I do think there's a, a large portion of those people who are negative towards uh, Last Jedi who feel that Poe was kind of knocked down a rung and they didn't want to see that happen, even though I think it needed to. Yeah, like they like people that I have spoken to about this, that this was this was their favorite part of TFA, like him being a pilot, being the hero in their minds. And it's almost like blinder, like that they can only see those things. And again, this is the thing that I like or I dislike the least. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's very yeah. just. And you life. know, too, those are probably the same people complaining that this is too much like the original trilogy and it's not different enough. And then they, yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, my favorite thing is Poe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and, you know, I still love I still like him as a character. I feel like he has grown in on me, especially especially with kind of a different lens and like time to process and stuff like that and separate my my opinion from others, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, what is my own opinion on this subject? But, you know, it it is it is something that really struck me is that, like, you know, you get kind of people out there that really gravitate as their only female character that they love is Ahsoka and their their favorite guy character is Poe Dameron. It's weird. It's a. It's weird. I'm excited to see him in the uh, in the Resistance Reborn book. That I think that'll be a good avenue to kind of see his his growth towards where he goes in Episode Nine. All right, uh, Lindsay, to you. What is your bottom number three? All right. Uh, my bottom number three. I just want to preface this with saying that Brandon, I hate you. Um, I don't blame you. Find... I mostly yeah. do myself. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Yeah. Good, as long as you know. But having to find three things that I don't like about this movie was almost impossible. Yeah, it was hard. And for the pa- yeah, for the past like week and a half, I felt like a seventh grader doing my homework. Because Brandon, I just wanted to call you up and be like, "Hey, dude, what'd you put for number two? <laughs> just, just real quick, what's the answer?" Um, so my number three, it's not something that can be changed i understand why these choices were made i won i understand why these characters came here but still it was absolutely heartbreaking and is still absolutely heartbreaking years later to see that han and leia did not have a happily ever after that's fair yeah, I grew up, they were, you know, they were always, like, my favorite couple growing up. And I just always assumed, of course, they were Endgame. And then to go into the theater and be like, oh, my God, they couldn't make it work? <laughs> Love isn't real. But see, see, that's where it gets weird, right? Because in Legends, they have a kid that falls to the dark side, and they still stick together, right? And in, in canon, they have a kid that falls to the dark side and obviously tears them apart. But I feel like for those two headstrong characters, I feel like that's a more natural arc Feels more real? Yeah. It, it yeah. does. And Bloodline, I would say, really helped me comprehend that um, because it helps you understand, okay, they, they made things work on their term. They really were blindsided by this. You can understand they're hurt by all of this. But it still doesn't hurt me any less. That's so, fair. Totally so fair. It's like I just want, I just want you guys to be happy, please. And it's one of those things where they're 
it's supposed to hurt you, right? Because that's part of yes. the tragedy yeah. of Kylo Ren, right? It's like it's like Mace Windu. Like, yes, I hate Mace Windu, but you're supposed to hate Mace Windu. That's the point. So his character is executed <laughs> effectively, right? Um, and, and I think this can that is- be my bottom three of like TFA? Because I hate Mace Windu too so much that he could sneak into TFA. <laughs> he sneaks into all show. the books. Oh <laughs> he, like, my god! Always the bottom. No, just kidding. Uh, yeah. So. No, I get that. I get that. It's 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 not really something you can analyze. It just kind of sucks, you know. It's like yeah, aw. I just got to accept it and move on. Yeah. But if I had to be petty and pick three things, that would be what I changed. Everything else can stay the same. It's just they'd still be happy together. All right. So mine is is a big one that completely destroyed canon, um, and and it just it tore it apart. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this one is like so minor, but it's one of my pet peeves, and it's a minor m- oversight that happened with the story group. And I'm not one of those people that's like very every little detail in the films and the books and everything has to be exactly perfectly lined up, you know, to the hair. But in TFA, when Ray um, is saving BB-8, she calls the creature a Tito. Uh, like it's his species, but in the book before the before the awakening, he's referred to as a Tito with a capital T, as if it's his name. So yeah, like she says, oh, that's just Tito. Yeah, but in yeah. the book it says a Tito. Oh, I did that backwards. Yeah, she says that's just Tito, like it's his name, and in the book it says a Tito. And that just always bugged me. But that shows you how hard it is to find stuff about Force Awakens you don't like. I mean, that could just be like the the like editor just missed that. And yeah. that was at the time that they still like released the novelization at the time of the movie mm. coming out, which is kind of insane. Like now they push it back by like four months or three months so that they actually have a time to be like, oh, let's correct all this stuff that didn't get successfully into the book and make sure that it actually aligns up with the final edit of the book and even then even then Jason Fry missed that thigh grab that happened in the throne room scene in TLJ so this is just part of that the thigh grab heard around the world yeah it's literally on all of the marketing it's in the lightsaber book like he will never forget this ever that's I mean, Jason Fry. <laughs> I know we won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting you, because there's a few things in the TFA novelization that aren't in the book or that are different. So there's, I remember there's Ray um, when Uncar Plutt offers uh, her 60 portions, she reaches down and turns BB-8 off. And then she is about to give him up and then she changes her mind and turns him back on. Um, and that's in both the novelization and the junior novelization. Uh, yeah, and it, then and those came out like the same day yeah. as the actual movie. And it actually, like in in the prequels era, the novelizations would come out like two to three weeks beforehand. It was so, crazy. Like, like uh, for the Phantom Menace, um, I I was able to read it like a week beforehand. I didn't, but you could. Like that's it was like that, that, was that for Empire and Jedi too. Because I I've heard stories of people who found out about the I am your father from the book and didn't believe that's actually what they were going to do and and so now they've changed that to it's like three to four months after there's time for the novelist to actually make sure things are Mm -hmm. correct 
and actually align to what the final cut of the movie is as much as possible. I think the big thing that probably caused that more than anything is when Kylo says, um, he says, it's her or it's you or it is you in the uh, the battle in the snow. Do you remember, Marie Claire, uh, exactly what he says? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is you. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that plays with all of the what girl like continuous yeah. uh, conversation that is highlighted in TFA, not only the novelization, but also in um, in the movie itself. Like everybody says, like, who is this girl? Ooh, girl, girl. <laughs> Ooh, girl, watch out. Uh, what, what's going on with you, this girl? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Lucasfilm, what I'm saying is learn how to use articles. That's it. All right. Uh, let's move on to our number twos. Marie Claire, <laughs> back to you. Okay, number two. Uh, I, I feel like this is, this is again, a nitpick, and I'm going to go into it a little bit, but <sighs> Lucasfilm is incredibly obsessed with tentacles in Star Wars. Oh my God, you're my hero. <laughs> and there was just not enough tentacles in the wrath tar scene. No, that is the wrong answer. <laughs> you, you were so. I was so high. I was so high. Especially with the the mace window, you're coming in so hot. You start building this up, no, and then no. you just shot him down. I love it. I mean, like tentacles are like a thing. They, like it's it's wacky, weird, and and yeah, there was enough. Really, there was enough, but like. It, the Rathar scene for me, and this is actually the point, the Rathar scene for me is a little slow. I find it to be the weirdest cut scene. Um, it's very like cut back and forth. And I know that Star it doesn't make a Star Wars movie without um, having a either weirdly puppeted or animated or stop motion animated creature in the middle of it that that's like a must it's like one of the checkmark things including themes of hope and love and redemption um we need to have weirdly animated monsters in the middle of our star wars movies or it's not star wars but i feel like the rathars could have existed maybe with more tentacles and it it just would have been cut differently and it maybe it would have been a little bit better of a paced scene that's or, I feel like I'm the only person who actually enjoys the Rathtar scene. You are Not the only person. For, well, see, because I don't like it for, you know, the creepy crawly aspect. I like it because we learn so much about the characters during it. Oh. You know, we're, we're reintroduced to Han and his quick wit and how even when in all this danger, he still makes these snarky comments. But we learn so much about Ray specifically during this scene. And I always thought that that was more important than the Rathtar itself. So oh, I yeah, don't know. I never really was and bothered by it. Yeah. She doesn't. She doesn't admit to saving Finn. Right. That's the biggest she's thing with her. Just like that was no, lucky. Yeah. So I like all the character stuff. I just feel like the pacing is weirdly like mind numbing. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I love. I've seen TFA. I feel like forty times. I know that sounds like bizarro weird, but. It, I used to watch it just like as I'm doing the dishes, uh, turn on TFA, yeah, like, always. you know, like all the time. And that scene to me just kind of mind numbs me weirdly. And I love everything about it. But, you know, more tentacles could have probably changed that. It's the it's the get up and go to the bathroom <laughs> scene. I just <sighs> every movie needs one. Every movie needs one. I think 
part of it, Marie Claire, it is what you said with the cuts are weird. There's, and this is my number two uh, shock to nobody that I don't like the monster scene. Uh, but there's Ray's turn to camera where she says wrong fuses, and it's just so like B oh, yeah. um, horror movie. I hate it. Oh, it's so. Oh, uh, it's the only thing Daisy really does that I don't absolutely adore in this movie. And I just, I feel like there's not anything in here we really learn that we don't either learn before or learn quickly after about any of these characters. And so maybe if it was a little bit shorter, maybe if the Rathars were a little less just Rathar. Uh, maybe if it was something more along the lines of like a predator, like a Nexu or something that is more relatable to our lives. But it just felt very cheesy 80s horror movie, um, which I think is part of the point because that's kind of JJ's thing is monsters and everything, you know, a super eight. And, but, uh, and, but also Star Wars, like to have that monster in the middle of Star Wars is very Star Wars. Yeah, but I feel like. When you, when you talk about like the, the the wampa and the rancor, there's more story purpose Sarlacc. to them. The sarlacc. There's well, but see, I hate the the uh, or I shouldn't added say I tentacles? hate tentacles. I I hate the added <laughs> tentacles. Yes, I do. But it, like, it's their thing. They literally came out with a comic like last I month know. that has a giant tentacle monster. On I it. know. I don't know. It, it is. It is something about the storytelling and i feel like george lucas at some point is just like hmm what does it need it's lacking something more tentacles like, <laughs> like he's eating just, his snickers bar and it like the caramel just starts to drip down and he's like i have it like more <laughs> tentacles like there's literally tentacles like in every star wars movie i don't know what it was about george i and so I there's just picture doug chan being there like george really three more tentacles that's a little overkill. Like, could we do one less? And now we have Claude, which is just a giant tentacle. <laughs> That's true. That is true. He is one giant tentacle. And maybe he is the tentacle that brings balance to the force. We don't know. I assume so. Obviously. All right, Lindsay, let's go to you and your number All two. All right. So apparently I'm the only one with a different number two. Um, but Marie Claire, mine actually goes back towards your number three. Um, my number two is, it might be cheating, but it's nothing specific about The Force Awakens. It's just the fans, you know, and I feel like it's been this way for the past two Star Wars movies that have even come out, especially The Last Jedi and Solo. I just get so pissed off when I, I love these movies so much and I love everything that comes out with them, not because I'm naive, not because I just see star wars and i say i love it without thinking about it critically but other people do the exact opposite where they just at this point see star wars and they see the disney logo attached to it and they just tear it down with absolutely no understanding they don't care about the point of the story they don't care who the story is aimed for and just seeing the way the fans react to these movies and then each other it's just so aggravating. It really kills your mood. It's I interesting. I feel like those... Be oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it, it, well, I was just going to say, it's interesting because, save for Star Wars and maybe Revenge of the Sith, I feel like every Star Wars movie that comes out gets a bad reaction, right? Like, people 
didn't like Empire when it first came out. People didn't like Jedi when it first came out. People didn't like uh, Phantom Menace. People didn't like Attack of the Clones. But for the most part, people have come around on those films. The interesting thing here is the whole social media thing, right? And the keyboard assassins and everything. So it is weird because I feel like these effects are going to be more lasting than maybe it was for like the prequels where now we get a you know a prequel hate article and everybody just rolls their eyes and is like this guy's still on reddit um but i really hope it's the same for for these movies because they are really great i think that you're dealing with a lot of kind of subconscious stuff happening in the fandom and um communities themselves have almost like a collective subconscious, right? And these movies are both TFA and TLJ. And and yes, to the point, we do have people that experience hate because there's a lot of things going on with Star Wars. It's a mythopoeia, which means that it is a mythic storytelling that we subscribe to as viewers and lovers and fans that is almost as powerful to some people as religion, and when they have invested so much of their selves and their self-identity into something that is as important to them as Star Wars is, then if something comes out that doesn't necessarily align to their own, say, view of what Star Wars should be, their ownership of it, they almost experience like a schism from the core church. It's almost like we have like a reformation happening with fandom. Like people are like, well, that's not my Star Wars because yeah, to them, their Star Wars is what they've built up in their head. And it's like all the way along, George has said that Star Wars is about compassion and it's about love and it's about found family and about redemption and about, you know, that it's, you know, fairy tale. (laughs) <laughs> these things have been said from the beginning. People totally miss that mark. So maybe it's not the fans yeah. I don't like. Maybe it's just people in general. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> and you're going to see that happen in any fandom. But what is unique about Star Wars is that it is plugging into us subconsciously through the use of Joseph Campbell, which ties into, you know, Jungian archetypes. These things are speaking to our brains on a fundamental level. Like using Joseph Campbell storytelling techniques and and the and the sort of hero with a thousand faces slash hero's journey um, structure means that it's speaking to uh, us kind of in the way that all stories are being told. And so if something kind of deviates from what we're expecting necessarily, um, it feels weird right it's still telling the same story but we built our own mm, we built our own vision of what star wars is as we play as kids or as we experience different things within kind of how we consume it and it's always tied to who we consume it with when we consumed it and what that meant for us emotionally at that time that we did well and I also, I think there's a lot of, you know, like the expanded universe being around for years and years and 
and people just started to expect Star Wars to just be this action adventure thing to some extent. And I kind of look at it like, you know, you brought up the analogy of the church and it, it to me, and this is just my opinion, but I feel like the the people who are railing against the the sequel trilogy saying that it's like absolutely not Star Wars and it's ruining the series, it's it's like Christians who don't read the Bible and then they go out and they say, God would hate this, God would hate that. I'm like, have you actually ever read any piece of scripture? Because, I mean, here's a verse, here's a, a, you know, that proves legitimately that what you're saying is wrong kind of thing. Um, and like, that's how I feel about the sequel trilogy. People will say these certain things. And there are critiques of this movie. That's what we're doing right now. But... You know, I do think, like you said, Marie Claire, it's speaking to us on this level, and I think that makes some people uncomfortable, just like it does some people who maybe their worldview has to change, their faith has to change to fit how things actually are. Um, I think that's kind of a same situation that's happening here, is they have built up what this quote-unquote religion is in their mind, and when it's not that, then... It doesn't. It, it, it's an identity then, crisis, right? Then they, well, they then they project the worst part of themselves out there into the universe. Oh, right? I see you out pulling in that shadows others. episode. Yeah, it's it was a good one. That was but a good no, one. It's 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 true. They project these things out there in the universe, and especially to do with their missing feminine, because TFA, as much as it does follow kind of a similar storytelling structure of say a new hope as well as kind of a call to adventure it is incredibly feminine in many aspects um there is this you know idea that they are basically overlaying the worst parts of themselves that they don't want to look at onto the rest of the world to be able to see them and it is the first step to being able to process those things and understand those things. But many people don't ever get there. They just are very angry at the world. It's a sad way to live. It's got to be exhausting. And, you know, if you can actually take a step back and be like, okay, so what does this mean for me? Which is part of projection and, and really taking a step back and understanding those things, then it starts to, you know, heal what's going on and and understanding your own shadow is very very important absolutely absolutely all right let's move on to our number ones uh the thing that most bothers us about this movie and marie claire i'm gonna send it back to you it's it's such a weird one but like i love the cantina scene in this movie so much that i wish it was like i don't know at least a minute longer (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I completely relate to this complaint. <laughs> or like at least not even a minute longer, but we had more follow-up on a lot of those characters of the location. I will say, yeah. I think I say this every other episode, A Perfect Weapon is one of my favorite short stories of all time. And we get yeah. some great scenes on Takadana in Battlefront 2, but I don't think I could ever have enough of Moss's Castle. I feel like it's such a cool place. I love the Lin Wenwell Miranda um, like song, uh, go, um, Java, uh, Java Flow. Flow. Yeah, Java Flow. I love it. It's like on my iPad, like off, I, on my uh, iPhone. It's 
amazing. I feel like each of the characters, they put so much detail into what is happening and why it's happening in that in Maz's castle. I love that we got like a perfect weapon and we got this external um, continuation of some of the things that were happening there. And, you know, we've learned a little bit more about Maz, especially to do with the last shot. But I just wish they had like focused on some of the character interactions a little bit more so that we could actually get a little bit out of that universe and the world and all of the creatures that were created. I know lots of people are like, why wasn't there enough original trilogy creatures in the cantina scene? I don't care. It's a big galaxy. I just wanted to like live in that cantina just a little bit longer. For me, it's the, it's the way the camera swings it just yeah, moves it's too so fast. fast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, just slow it down and like focus in and cut between character interactions. I feel like as Ray was like scanning the room, she could have been like, "That's weird," and like it, you know, processed what was happening in that moment. Like they could have done it a little bit differently. I'm just like commenting on the brilliance of J.J. Abrams, like constantly. I'm so sorry, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's what the the original cantina does so effectively is it does it cuts from one to the other and it just sits there for a second. I don't think yeah, you even have to have that context. Yeah, you just you you and, and think about like the the fever that that created around those characters versus like and I, I mean of course it's different times. Star Wars blew up and and people were trying to get whatever they could, but do we really know a lot about any of those aliens there? And are we really motivated to go learn anything about a lot of those aliens there? And I personally am not because I think it, it just, it moves so fast that I've never really been able to invest in anything up until mass calls out Han's name, which is perfect. I mean, it's kind of like Robert Altman esque where you walk into the scene and it's very real with how you would probably walk into a bar in real life where, yeah, you take note of all of these people, but it's not like you sit and you stand there and you stare at them for two minutes. You might, you know, someone might catch your eye for 30 seconds or so and you think, I wonder what they're doing here. I wonder who they're meeting. You know, you play the, is that a first date game in your head? What are they saying to each other? And then you just move on to the next thing. Um, so I guess it feels really realistic and maybe that's why it captivates us as much as it does, because it does mirror how we would enter this situation in real life. Yeah. Just slow it down a little tiny bit. It felt fast. <laughs> that's all we need. Yeah. Just a little slower. Just like, I mean, I would accept like an extra 15 seconds. Like I would have, I know I, I just, yeah, it felt very fast and I just wanted to live there for a little longer. Listen, I'd be game for an Two more hours of Moss's Castle. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, let's go to your number two. All right. Um, or number one. We're on my number one. one yeah. yeah, my number one, um, similar to what JJ always does, and I know it's setting up a trilogy. I know a lot of these questions are going to be answered, but just looking at this movie in a vacuum as just The Force Awakens and not worrying about what's going to happen in the next two movies, this planted so many mysteries and there weren't enough payoffs. You know, obviously we saw the same thing with A New Hope. They weren't sure if they were going to get extra movies, so they had to tie up a lot of loose ends. Phantom Menace, I think, still tied up enough loose ends. But this, and I know, I know, I know, I'm a, a JJ fan. I love Lost. I'm very familiar with how how he works and 
how he teases us with things, but it just didn't feel satisfying enough walking out and saying, okay, I get why this was done. And I, I like where we're headed with these mysteries and what's going to be paid off. And I just don't know at this point what is going to have that satisfying ending. All of it. It's all, I hope. Yes, episode nine is going to heal all wounds. I hope. I need them. I need them healed. Well, like, no, not, not just, just the... Not just like the sequel trilogy, but it's supposed to heal all the saga wounds. It's yeah. supposed to connect everything, which is like, wow, those are some, those are some shoes, Mister Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's why I almost want to revisit this list um, in like January or February when we had time to sit with the Rise of Skywalker. I want to revisit this and the Last Jedi, and see if any of my top or bottom three changed. Based on how things end up. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do something about how our views of the sequel trilogy have changed after episode nine. Because it's going to be so different. I mean, even just with the little bit we have with knowing Palpatine's there, uh, Vader's helmet, whatever's going on with Rey. Like, it's just like Return of the Jedi adds a lot of context to the films before. This is going to add a lot of context to the films before it, right? Because... You know, if you don't have, surprise, surprise, here it is, Luke on the second Death Star, then what happens in Empire is pretty meaningless. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how all of it goes down in Episode 9. All right, I'm going to wrap it up so we can get into the good stuff. My number one, and this is, it's weird. I like everything they did with the Millennium Falcon in this movie. I just don't like Han not having the Falcon. Like, just the idea of Han not having the Falcon is, it's it's my Han and Leia being broken up kind of thing. I'm just like, mm, I just don't, I don't like the idea that Han didn't have it for years, probably just because I feel bad for him, um, because it's his baby. Uh, and then there's also part of me that feels like it was the, the filmmakers saying like, hey, don't worry, we put the galaxy on pause for 30 years while we didn't talk to you guys. It's all okay. Nothing changed. Um, when when really a lot changed. So I feel like they could have done that in a different way where you have maybe Han on Jakku um, and Ray takes off and is flying before Han can even get to the cockpit and realize what's going on. Um, and, and then he's impressed with her or, or something like that. Um I just wish Han had had the Falcon. I love everything they did with it, though. The chase is amazing. Ray is amazing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the Falcon we... kind of represents his lost family, though, like symbolically. <sighs> that's, so it's a good point. I mean, he he had he had lost the Falcon just like Ben. It was all just, you know, kind of setting us up for how much he had been disconnected from who he formerly was because of the loss of his son. Thank you. I was just going to say, can, can we appreciate the fact that you, Brandon are the hopeless romantic of the two of us. You are the jewels of the clashing of, of um, clash of fate. And yet I'm here and I'm like, no, Han and Leia, what a true love story. Isn't that great? How could they be pulled apart? And you're like, yeah, but a ship. Don't forget a ship. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you and I might have just swapped a little bit tonight. 
and we should make a little trade. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I don't love Han and Leia not being together, but I feel like it would be a little more natural. Um, I just... Ha- I. I- Maybe if there was a story that made me believe that Han lost the Falcon, it just doesn't feel natural. But Marie Claire, I, I like what you said about it being that metaphorical loss. And I get in that context, yeah. And I think, you know, to get the characters where they need to go, like everything that happens in the movie is is great. Um it just sucks. It just everywhere <laughs> everywhere Han and Leia are at the beginning of this movie just sucks. Well, the uh, thing about Han is that he always is losing. Like, always. But he always finds a way out of it. And he but didn't find he... a way out of this one. The only time you know, he wins is with Leia. Here's, I think, our next little topic we need to dive into, Brandon. Who is the better embodiment of having hope in the galaxy? Is it really Leia? Or maybe it is Han. Because she's right. He is always losing, but he never once sits there and he's like, oh, no, this is it. He probably is the most hopeful out of any of the heroes that we have. Yeah, as much as he wants to deny that about himself. Yeah. Right? He He's this curmudgeonly guy. But, you know, as soon as Ray's like, oh, it's about Luke. He's like, oh, we're going to Maz's. We're going to get you on that <laughs> ship. We're going to get you home. Got you covered. Yeah. Well, it's he like, got away. It's like Leia is... is the the beacon of light and Han is like the ray, not Ray the character, but like the ray of light. Uh, you know, talking. he he's kind of what actually. Of course, Leia does go out there and do the action, but especially in this film, you know, he's the one that's kind of in it, whereas Leia is kind of leading things. Um, so he's kind of that arm of hope, if you will, the hand of hope, uh, the hand of hope. Um, oh yeah. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. I love Han Solo. I do really like what they did with him in this film, and uh, I like what they did with Leia in this film. I like this. Guys, can we just go to that the top three said, now? let's go to the top oh three. Oh, my God. Let's All right. Thank yeah. God. Marie Claire. Like my favorite part. I keep on writing down stuff, so this is going to be hard. I'm like, oh, yeah, I really like this, too. Oh, no. Oh, I had, like, uh, 14 on my list I had to figure out how to consolidate some together, so... This is part of the challenge of this journey. Oh, gosh. I mean, I did not write down Poe before I said that. I was just like, yeah, that's what I did. Like, <laughs> it was just in your soul. It was, it was so visceral, was, though. Like, Poe Dameron. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think that what happened with the Force is so interesting in this movie. So we got a lot of interesting things that advanced kind of the... I don't know, concept of the force. We got the frozen uh, blaster bolts. We got the uh, kind of force connect slash in each other's minds. Kylo could like invade people's spaces in their minds and, and find out information. We got the really amazing force back that happened in the bottom of uh, Maz's castle in the basement. When she touched the lightsaber, we got the concept of this legacy lightsaber talking to people and like calling to people. Um, we the force sound effect, force sound effects, like how they did things and like the senses of stuff. Uh, Kylo just being like, you know, almost like a like a rabid dog, like prowling in the force was really cool. Uh, 
whenever he used the force, there's like a, uh, the purring kitten or whatever that they used in the sound design. So him and also in the, his uh, mask, he also got a little bit of that stuff in there. We got the kind of concept of that there's this other order of the Knights of Ren, even though we still don't know what they are, <laughs> that are out there in the galaxy doing stuff. And like Snoke is another force user who's like has this apprentice, Kylo Ren. There's just there was so much expansion from what we knew from the Jedi and from the original trilogy and from the Sith that it felt so much like it was expanding the universe rather than shrinking it. And I'm always for that, especially with uh, weird force stuff. So anytime, I mean, T TLJ takes the cake with weird force stuff happening from a movie perspective, but it reaffirmed a lot of things that I knew about the force. It reaffirmed a lot of things that I knew about the force back then. Um, you know, it doesn't take training necessarily to master the force. Uh, there's this weird connection between the two of them and it just kind of grew the universe for me from a force perspective. A hundred percent. I mean, the, the other really cool thing about all the force abilities is it's not like, and I don't want to bash the Phantom Menace. Anyone who knows me knows I, I actually really love that movie. Um, but it still bothers me that in the Phantom Menace, they, had that really quick ability where they could run really, really super duper fast because of the force. And then it's never touched on again and it doesn't do anything for the story. Whereas all the new force abilities here, it's consistent. It's brought up again and mm -hmm. it drives the plot forward. And it all like feels in universe and, and yeah, all, it's not like forced it's, yeah, for lack of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> and we also got this amazing line from Snoke. There's been an awakening. Have you felt it? Like it, it had that that mystical nature back in the saga, you know? Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. Awesome yeah. number three. Oh, I can't wait to hear your other two. All right, Lindsay, let's go to you. All right. Um, mine, I tried to, I had the same problem as you guys. Couldn't really narrow it down. So I tried to group a bunch together and I'm going to personify my number three by saying the scene where the Falcon is flying on Jacko. And it's not necessarily because that one individual scene is so cool because it is. Uh, but really it's, I think the absolute perfection of how I felt about this movie, you know, and I, I saw this movie 14 times in theaters when it came out on I think it was like April 27th or something on DVD. I watched it every single day for a month and every single time during that scene I was just riveted. I was so happy. I there, there's nothing bad you can feel while watching that scene. It's pure joy, it's pure excitement and it's pure Star Wars. And you get that, at least I personally get that a lot of other times during this movie. And when I sit down and I watch this movie as a whole, but for me, that's the highlight. And when I saw it for the first time sitting in that theater, it was just a feeling of this is right. You know, all of my worries about Disney having Star Wars went away during that scene. Um, so for me, it's it's got to be that scene is my number three and that 
overall just that feeling of, all right, I trust Disney. We're going in the right direction. This is going to be a fun ride. The whole movie has a fun feeling to it. Like, even when you get into, I mean, except for the whole, you know, on getting killed thing. But the whole the whole movie is it, it feels like an adventure, um, and, and that kind of personifies that because it, it's it's the the new heroes really taking up the mantle, like quite literally by taking the Falcon on. And even though we're going to get these legacy characters in the sequel, or excuse me, original trilogy characters who are going to play a role in their lives, like this is literally them sitting at the pilot seat. And taking control of their destiny, both of them, for the first time. Like a story for a new generation, but reminding us where we come from. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think mine... I love this point. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. It's it's that's all good. Uh, I was just going to say, my number three kind of goes along with that, with the, the sequel trilogy characters. And it's just the introdu- introduction of each of the characters. I think it's done really, really well. You have Ray and Finn and Kylo who are all introduced wearing masks because that's kind of who they've become. Um, but you see Ray and Finn remove their masks almost immediately. Um, in Finn's case, he gets marked with the blood of his history beforehand, but they both take it off pretty soon because they're aware that that mask is not who they are. Whereas you have Kylo, on the other hand, who doesn't take his mask off for a while. But just sticking with the intro, especially with Kylo, I mean, it's just so powerful. Showing him as the new Vader, the big bad entrance, the stopping the laser bolt, the the being able to multi-force with a task or uh, multitask with a force um, is insane. You know, like Marie Claire, you were talking about earlier, just like the new stuff it does with the force. We've never seen something like that where he just holds that bolt there and goes about his business. Does that conversation? Yeah, it's it's instantly you know that this guy is not a joke um and then you have skywalker as a family name it just it blows my mind the way that they introduce these new characters in complete perfection the ray intro is even though it's it's so simple but it's one of those moments you just absolutely have to stop and watch you know, mm-hmm. it, it's not one of those moments you can sit there and be like, oh, okay, here's where Ray is getting introduced and I'll wait for the action to start. Like, that is a, a moment you plopped out on the couch. And that was, for me, Lindsay, that was the moment when I was like, okay, we're good. I, I, do, I can't explain why that just felt so Star Wars to me, but to, to meet Ray in that way was absolutely excellent. And then even if we go to the legacy characters, I think they did a good job. I think Chewie were home is... Despite me not liking Han not having the Falcon, Chewie were home is one of the best Star Wars moments, both in the fandom and in the films. Leia comes in and is just calm and peaceful, but totally in control. Luke's moment at the step uh, at the end with Jedi steps. I mean, I'm fumbling my words here, guys, because I'm so excited about how great all of these character introductions were. Not for sure. It's hard to explain that feeling where I think we all had it at some point with this movie where it's just, all right, we're good. We're in the right hands. They're taking this in the right direction. And I feel safe with this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. 
Marie Claire, let's go to you and our number two. Sounds good. Okay, so this is going to like play perfectly off of your number three, but it is the very existence of Kylo Ren. <laughs> okay, if this Tim, is your number two, I'm interested to see what your number one is for sure, but go ahead. But, okay, so from his introduction, which is by far the best villain introduction we have ever had in the saga, I would say that like Darth Maul's was super weak because it's like him just skulking in the shadows. Like we, we get this bat like ship that lands with his theme fully blaring, which is like, Oh yeah, this is a bad guy who gives me shivers. And he walks down the plank, stops a blaster bolt and then has a, uh, semi sarcastic conversation with an old man and then decides to kill him and then has a sarcastic conversation with the person that we are, I guess, supposed to think is the hero who then gets captured. It's like, what? <laughs> he has this like you're you're instantly like, oh my God, this guy's the villain. But they turn around on us. And make him sympathetic throughout the course of the movie. And even worse, he is the child of our two former heroes that we love. And even on top of that, he could be brainwashed based on the conversation that Han has with him. And he seems to be weirdly interested in this girl that he comes across. He is an enigma from the get-go. They block him with a mask so that we can't see him. JJ actually added the mask back in, in certain scenes that he didn't have the mask on just to keep him kind of covered and um, more inhuman longer. And then when he pulls the mask off in front of Ray, totally stripped of all of his, you know, monstrous attire, he looks like a Disney prince. Which confuses us even more from his, you know, affectation that he is putting out there. And then when he fights with our hero heroine, who's supposed to like kick his butt and be like, you're the monster. He's like, no, wait, 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 wait. You got me wrong. Can I teach you? Like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? I just want a friend. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lonely here. <laughs> I've been kind of abused all my life from this guy. Uh, can I teach you the ways of the force? Actually? Wow. That's some complex and interesting storytelling from a character perspective. And then the fact that we get Adam Driver playing this character and everybody projects whatever garbage they have on their in their mind onto him because he is an amazing actor. And so they think that he is their ex-boyfriend. They think that he is, uh, you know, uh, who they don't want to be, who they do want to be. Everybody projects something on this black, amorphous, almost ink blot of a character in TFA. Wow. I love how you describe Adam Driver specifically because that is so 100% accurate. I think no matter how you feel about Kylo Ren. Um, and look, I like Kylo Ren. I'm not 
a big Raylo person, but I really love Kylo Ren for all the reasons you just described. But I would say that, yeah, I think you can learn a lot about a person by showing them any Adam Driver movie or any TV show he's in and saying, what do you think of this character? And you're going to learn everything about that person's inner psyche. That is such a great point. People just like like to project whatever is going on onto him. Mm. No, he is he's incredible. And I really can't picture this uh, trilogy working as well if you were to change out really any of these actors, but specifically him. Mm-hmm. When the, and there's, the there's something he, about his power too and his like micro expressions when his mask is off and his ability yeah. to just loom and his mask work especially from like Juilliard and stuff like that they've talked about and he um, he's able to like just hold the audience in a fascination. I mean, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to, to mention the mask acting as well and you said it's so much better than I could. It just, it connects with us it, it, it's almost like even though he's behind this mask, you you feel like you can see his face because he just does mm-hmm. such a great mm-hmm. job with his body language. It's absolutely excellent. And it'll be really interesting to see kind of how the mask is used in episode nine because, you know, it, it's it's there to block off his humanity and then slowly it's stripped away and Ray is finally what causes him to take it off. Um, when she calls him a monster, and now he's putting it back on, so it'll be it'll be interesting. Masks are defense mechanisms, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. They they you wear a mask to protect uh, the soft, squishy insides of yourself, right? From a symbolic perspective, especially, Absolutely, but yeah. also from like a psyche perspective, the mask, the persona is what we want others to see out there in the universe and putting it back on after you've taken it off, it will never fit quite right. And symbolically, we already see that because it is literally put back together. I think that we might not find, we might find out he's only worn it once in the movie and that it's not actually him in some of those scenes. So we get a little bit of a play tie back to the Phantom Menace decoy maneuver that grandma used to do. Uh, I think that would be really, really cool. I'm yes, I'm here for it. All right. uh, Lindsay, I think you're up. All right. My number two, I'll be honest. It was actually originally on my bottom three list because in my effort to find things I didn't like about this movie, I was just going to go with the cop out. And pick what everyone else always says, um, which is that it was the carbon copy of A New Hope. It had all the same beats. And I was phrasing it as it didn't take enough risk. Only problem was when I thought about it and I looked at it, that's not true at all. It takes a lot of risk, not so much in the volume. It's not like every single scene they felt the need to mix up those story beats that we know and change the structure that we know. They kept the same outline, but the risks that they did take were monumental and they worked. You know, there's there's no way if you were playing it safe that you would have killed Han, let alone had his son kill him. There's no way if you're playing it safe, you would have thought, you know what? 
let's have this full-fledged Force vision, not just a little bit of Anakin's dream, not just a mention, not just a voiceover. We're really going to carry out this Force vision. I know we've never done any type of flashback or travel forward. We've never really done anything like that in Star Wars, but yeah, let's play around with this. Let's really confuse the audience and take what we did in Dagobah 10 12, even a hundred times further than we have ever done and really pushed the envelope. So even though the structure is all the same, the outline feels the same. I think that they, in reality, took some giant risk here and it worked. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. No, you just, you're, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. Well, even things that like we didn't necessarily love like Han and Leia being separated and Han not having the Falcon those were I think those were meant to make us feel that way right like and that was a risk it would have been a lot easier to be like oh Kylo fell to the dark side and Han and Leia stuck together and made it through and Luke was always there for them and you know you especially you know say having this be like seven eight nine it's not like one, two, and three, you had to have like Obi-Wan in there and you had to hit certain things. But here, I feel like the pressure because you're not, there's no end point that people know is ramped up a whole lot. And you're handling characters that are literally part of the North American mythos. I mean, yeah. it, it would be like taking like Odysseus and, and completely just doing something insane with the character, right? Um, it, it, it was, yeah, I mean, they, they did take a lot of risks with this, both with like the legacy characters and with what they were willing to do story wise. Um, it was, I, I honestly, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a new hope, like, but so are a lot of movies. But it's just because it has the call to adventure and like exactly. that feel of yeah. of of adventure. And I I just want to like um, add to yours a little bit and just say they also took an incredible amount of love and care in how they handled those risks mm-hmm. and made them feel genuine and lived in in the world like so they used a ton of computer animation but you don't see it it feels like the old world that we lived in you know in the original trilogy and in some ways because we don't know at the time we watched it we didn't know where it was going and what was going to happen you know it almost is so much scarier and I think that that's why when the sequel trilogy wraps up people will look back and be like you know, actually it was okay. You know, actually this made sense. You know, people live with things with time because not knowing is part of the fear. I think that people have with when, when stories are told. Yeah. I mean, the, just the idea of not knowing where we were going is, is so different for Star Wars. Like, it hadn't happened since the original trilogy. And I think we kind of lost sight of that. But, like you said, the way that they handled all of these things is so good. Like, I always go back to to Han's death. Like, 
it had been out, you know, in the airwaves, in the fandom that Han Solo was probably going to die. But the way they framed that scene and the way they had Han slowly approach, I remember sitting there going, okay, this is the moment when my childhood hero is going to die. And I felt like I had that time to prepare for what I was about to see, which I really appreciated. So they they telegraphed it very well, even yeah. in movie. Like I didn't know he was going to die. I I don't know. I I missed that. I missed that memo. And when it happened, I was shocked and like I, just heartbroken, you know. But I I kind of understand like this. These sins have to happen for a character to, you know. Have be able to be redeemed. Like you have to do the worst thing possible to be able to be redeemed. It's, 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 it's a Joseph Campbell thing. It's all a Joseph Campbell <laughs> thing. As all good things are. <laughs> all right. So uh, to round out our number twos, mine is actually one that wasn't one of my favorites going in, and it's Finn and Ray and their relationship. Um, Aww. I didn't dislike it going in, um, but I was just kind of. It was it was there. I liked them, but it wasn't one of my you know top three favorite things. But as I was watching it with a more critical eye, I think everything they do with them is beyond fantastic. From that very first moment, and then Finn grabbing her hand, and the moment where oh the most this is like one of my favorite things. The moment where they get knocked down by the Tie Fighter blast, and Ray gets up first, and Finn's like, "Are you all right?" And she looks at him like he's crazy. I just. I absolutely love that that moment as this and then as the story progresses on it just I think everything works really well till until you get to that pinnacle of their hug on Starkiller where it's the first time that anybody has ever come back from for Rey and of course you know she'll do that for Finn in The Last Jedi before I watched the the movie I actually watched it twice to try to narrow down my list um, but before rewatching this, I was excited to see the characters go on this adventure in Rise of Skywalker. But now it's up there with like being one of the the aspects that I am most excited for going into Episode Nine is we're finally going to get Finn and Ray and even toss Poe in there together going on an adventure because especially because JJ did such a good job with these characters to start with. Aww. Yeah. I love and them. It's, it's so good for me, too, because I think the novelization does an amazing job elaborating on that relationship and maybe clarifying that relationship a little bit. But John and Daisy do such a wonderful, wonderful job in their performance that you don't need that elaboration and you don't need that clarification. Uh, whereas in the novelization, we learn so much more about Hux and Kylo and Snoke but we needed that. We had to get a little bit more information. We had to see how they interact and they play off each other a little bit more. But John and Daisy fill out that performance so well. And of course, part of it is that behind the scenes stuff where they had to delay production. JJ realized he wasn't taking them in the right direction and he was able to adjust their playfulness on screen and it worked. It really does feel like a natural friendship, a natural found family. Um, and we don't necessarily need more information in the book. It's nice to have, but just their performance and the direction JJ gave them was just on point. Well, and the 
they're what you hope for, right? You always hope for that one person in your life that you just instantly connect with, right? Um, whether that's a spouse or a sibling or a friend, somebody that just immediately understands everything you've gone through. Uh, and that's what these two characters get, like, almost from the from the very get-go. Um, we see that after they escape Jakku and they're talking over each other. It's like they just look at each other, like, where have you been all my life? And not necessarily in a romantic way. If it... Heads the romantic way, I'm fine with that. If this, if it's done right, that's like my my mantra. If it's done right, but mm-hmm. you don't need it. You don't need it because you, you can have this relationship of two people who who love and care for each other beyond what words can describe because of the first person who, for each of them, that has ever understood them. Mm. So. All right, let's go round it out in our number ones. Marie Claire, you are up. I'm up. Okay, so I feel like I'm just repeating the last one, but the the existence of Ray. <laughs> so yeah. let's let's just like take a step back. And I've been a Star Wars fan my whole life. I actually don't remember a time without Star Wars in my life, and with the exception of kind of um, the EU you know, role-playing games where you could actually play a female character. Ray existing meant that there was a woman that not only I could identify with, you know, from experiences that she was going through, but also, you know, my daughter can look up to. The whole female side of the fandom had more than how many women? <laughs> Less than a handful of speaking roles on screen. Ray has a very feminine perspective journey that she goes on, even though because the heroine's journey and the hero's journey follow the first three steps almost exactly the same, her story and the invention of her fulfills a missing need in Star Wars. And... Not only that, she is wonderful. She is a brilliant character where we feel her loneliness as she is on, you know, Jakku and all alone. She doesn't speak for like the first, I don't know, like three or four minutes until she actually speaks to Tito and BB-8. Like we don't actually hear her speak. She's just experiencing through the visuals of her looking at things and reacting to things and feeling very stuck. But then when she does speak, she has a voice and she has power and she has ethics and morality and desires and, you know, all of this complexity, like she could go on an adventure, but she has this yearning to go back to Jakku because of her family and these connections. She denies her journey to Maz she but then at one point finally everything clicks and she's like you know what I, I've got to do it this is what I've got to do I'm in this situation and she accepts her own power and is able to actually step forth and protect those that she cares about that's incredibly powerful for this generation for men for women for everybody and I'm so happy that she exists you took my number one right out of my mouth. Um, so there's some things that I want to add. No, 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 don't be, because there's some things I want to add, some things I want to 
amend to even. Um, so just a couple points right off the bat. When you mention things like she denies some of the um, calls off world, she denies Maz's um, invitation really to use the force. Mm-hmm. And even though she does it almost out of weakness, out of fear, one of the reasons I think she is made so powerful is because she's not the only character to do it. It would be so hard to sit there through that movie and see her make those choices out of fear if Poe and Finn and Han and even Kylo Mm -hmm. were making these brave choices and doing these brave things without second thought. But no, because she is at the equal point of these other male characters but she's able to see the error of her ways first. Whereas Finn, he was willing to run away and he wasn't going to look back until he really, really had to. Whereas Ray, all she does is she makes this initial decision, but then she sits and thinks about it and goes, no, wait, this isn't the right thing to do. I have to do this other thing because that's the right thing to do. And that's the right choice. Whereas the male Mm -hmm. characters do it because then there's no other choice and they're forced into it. Um, so I think that's really powerful. The other two things that um, I would even amend is I personally, I'm not a mother, but anyone who knows me knows that I take my duties as an aunt incredibly, incredibly seriously. Um, every single thing I do is for, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old nephew. Everything I do is for them. Um, and it's a lot of fun for me now. My nephew, Uh, I got to take my older nephew to see The Last Jedi in movie theaters. So it was just the two of us. uh, I took him to the Alamo. We got dinner there and everything. And he sat there. He was three years old at the time and just glued to that movie. And he was so good the whole time. And the only time he ever piped up in that theater was when Ray would be on screen and then she would leave and he would turn to me and luckily everyone else in the theater would think it was really funny because it was a couple we- a couple months into this movie being out, so I don't think it was anyone's first time seeing it, thank God. Um, but he would turn and just loudly go, Aunt Lulu, where's Ray? Where did Ray go? When's Ray coming back? <laughs> and now, even now he's five years old, but Ray is his favorite character. And we, he loves coming over so we can watch Star Wars and he can play with all the toys that I get him. And Ray is his favorite character. So for me, I'm in the same boat as you, Marie Claire, where I really like it because, yeah, as a female, this is a character I connect with for obvious reasons. But now my five-year-old nephew gets to be vulnerable and sensitive and have a strong female character to look up to as well so that's just i think going to be a lot of fun for me as the time goes by but third and finally daisy ridley yeah it's it's her it is her performance she's so easy to connect to these little things that she does she's absolutely wonderful and she really brings this character to life i think because she understands the responsibility she has with it and she's just incredibly talented um but you can't have this character this i honest to god i have no problem putting this label on it this life-changing character has to be in her hands it couldn't be trusted with anyone else 
I just want to add like one point on top of that, which is like how she interacts with the world around her, including BB-8, which is he he is puppeted in the movie, but she gives him life by how mm-hmm. she interacts with him. And like the the there's this one scene where she's like leaning before BB-8 comes in and she's like leaning against her her walker and she's eating her like stew with her insta insta bread and she's got her little like um her uh helmet her rebel helmet on and she's like licking her bowl and stuff like she just is so real as as real as anything that we have but yet she exists in this galaxy far far away right and she just embodies this movie in so many ways. And I'm so happy that it, even though the marketing really didn't speak to the fact that she was going to be the main character until the IMAX poster came out, that she ended up being our main lead. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I, it, and everything is from her perspective and her journey. Yeah, she's wonderful. And Brandon, I absolutely double dog dare you now as the token white male on tonight's podcast to go ahead and say that your favorite thing about this movie is Poe. No, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna round it out. It's Ray catching the lightsaber. Um, oh yeah, all right, fair. And here's the thing: to put this into perspective about how much I like this moment, it is in the arena of Luke throwing away his saber on the second Death Star. It is that special. That's your favorite of all time. It is that. This is very plausibly my number two. It is that special. I remember seeing it the first time because, you know, Marie Claire, like you mentioned, the marketing didn't really put Ray at the forefront um, because they wanted to save that reveal. And I remember the first time mm-hmm. seeing it, you see that saber go flying, and I was... I was thinking it would be Luke, but my gut was telling me it was Ray, and it just created all of this emotion because it was Ray claiming her identity, which at the beginning of the the movie, as I spoke about earlier, she had been denying by wearing her mask, you know, and putting putting that mask on, mm-hmm. um, both literally and metaphorically. And we talk about how these films, even though they have their their trilogies, they have to have these contain stories and for ray i think this movie has a complete story um and i think it comes to a finish here where we could end things with ray right there and feel good knowing she took up the mantle of jedi she's gonna go out and do what's right in the galaxy now of course whether that jedi title or not even matters is is up for debate but it's that moment where she she plants her feet in the ground and claims her her part in this story. It's just it's it's absolutely amazing, and a lot of that is because of all the points you guys mentioned before that lead up to that moment. Like you you get so invested in that character, and, and Marie Claire, you bring this up on your show about the missing feminine a lot, and I've always kind of said like. I relate to female characters a lot more than I relate to a lot of male characters like Ahsoka, mm-hmm. Leia, Hera, Aiden. Like my top six favorite Star Wars characters are all females. And I think a lot of that is because I was was raised around a lot of women. And so I'm a little more in touch with that side. So to, to kind of put Ray in that perspective like you did really opened my eyes of like, kind of how maybe other people were misinterpreting the character like we talked about earlier 
um, mm-hmm. because and, and I think the way that they're going to round it out, I'm not. It's just going to be absolutely amazing. And I texted, I texted the group today, and I was like, "There ain't no way Ray is turning to the dark side." Because he I, did, he said it. I I think this moment right here proves that. Like the thing, the thing that's really important to acknowledge about every character in the Star Wars universe is that they all have a little bit of darkness in them, no matter yeah. who they are. And that's part of understanding who you are as a complete person. The Jedi kind of get it wrong by saying, actually deny your darkness. Well, that actually causes it to grow. And for you to misunderstand, you know, who you need to be as a character to actually, or sorry, as a person to actually grow past that, you know, and actually exist in the world with others and have compassion for others. The only way that you can have compassion for others who might be suffering with maybe a little bit too much darkness is to understand your own. Yeah. And, wow. I mean, you're you're right on there. And it's actually, it, it's kind of interesting because um, at my last therapy session, and therapy is cool, everybody should go, um, I, I was dealing with the loss of my friend and my therapist was helping me figure out like you have to take the 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 negative emotion that makes you want to throw things because you're upset because you lost your best friend and put it somewhere in a healthy way right and i immediately went to the idea of the jedi and the idea of kylo ren and that like helped put it in context that i don't want to go that way i want to be more like ray who is able to have that darkness and still not succumb to it to not let it define her um and and we see that through both the force awakens and the last jedi and like that darkness isn't like the thing is darkness is also a power it's also creativity it's also um you know passion right so yeah it's part of us but you know kevin scott actually has this amazing line in uh, Dooku Jedi Lost, which I totally recommend, but it's helped me frame a lot of things, especially since I've been really thinking uh, formally of how to explain certain aspects of the Force. And he did it very, very well. But he has this line where it's kind of like a, a cleansing ritual to rid yourself of, you know, being overwhelmed by darkness. It, you acknowledge the dark, look to the light, and respect the balance. I'm totally summarizing it because it's not like that, but I got you. We walk into the, I wrote it down. I have it right on my desk. We walk into the light, acknowledge the dark and find balance within ourselves for the force is strong. For the force is strong. And the whole point is to say, you do not deny the darkness. You understand it and you, and you move towards the light. Yeah. I mean, that's that, ladies and gentlemen, is Star Wars. That's a show. Yes. <laughs> so well said. So well said. Um, God, we could go on talking for another two hours about this movie. It's just, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. it. It is in so many ways. Like, I love The Last Jedi for how it pushes boundaries. And I love all of the other movies in different and unique ways. But this one, for me, has stuck with me so much like it's the one I, that I put on if I just want to have Star Wars as comfort it's it has that rewatchability factor that yeah. 
you know, it, it has all the main themes. It has everything you know and love about Star Wars. But yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's to me the ultimate like chicken noodle soup movie. It's it's electric, really. Like mm-hmm. there's just an energy around the movie, and I think part of it is like the memory of, especially for me, like this being my first star wars movie to go to opening night of and not knowing what's going to happen and then all the amazing things that did happen it's it's good stuff it's good stuff and so with that we are going to bring the show to a close and we only have one more episode till we have gone through all the star wars movies and so we'll have last jedi coming up on the next episode with some very special guests but before we get there we had to say a special thank you to marie claire you are absolutely amazing and thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me this is amazing so please 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 plug all your stuff because if guys if you're listening to clashing sabers you get a pen and pen or a pen and paper and write down what marie claire is about to say because you're gonna want to listen Oh, gosh, I do a lot. So I'll try to keep it mainly Star Wars. Uh, I run and host a Star Wars podcast called What the Force. Uh, It's on Twitter at WT Force Show. We're on Facebook and we have whattheforce.ca as our website. But you can find us on all podcatchers and, of course, YouTube. I also have written and directed a audio drama called Fangirls, and it is out there in the world, and I think we're on episode six of eight, and it's all about a bunch of fangirls trying to see episode nine before it is out. So that's kind of fun, too. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll have all the links in the show notes, of course, um, because, like I said, you guys are going to want to listen. All right, uh, Lindsay, let them know what you've got going on. Yeah, you guys can always find me on Twitter over at the Lady of Lore, and of course on Facebook on our Facebook group, Clashing Sabers Community. It is a great place where you can discuss not only all things Star Wars, but we really want to know what you're doing with star wars so whether it's writing articles doing any kind of artwork um we're just always interested to see what other creative content you guys are putting out there so feel free to join the clashing sabers community and start to show off some of your own creations there yeah and make sure that you hit the subscribe button uh you are especially this is coming out on uh, Monday, these next three weeks, you're going to want to be tuned in. I can't say much more than that. Just hit the subscribe button. Trust me, it'll pay off. Um, if you want to send us your thoughts, you can send them to Network at gmail.com or text us at 832-966-0077. Uh, of course, you know, we have clashingsabers.net. That's our website where we do long-form articles. So definitely go over there and check out some of our stuff, old and new. Um, I actually released a an article a little bit ago about how the rule of two could possibly end up in episode nine, and we'll see on Monday if that idea has been shattered or not. But until then, um, I guess batch eight. Hi-ho. I don't want to end it. I don't. All right. I guess we just have to. I said hi-ho. <laughs> we have to. Oh, okay. 
The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.